friends in the room, friends in Fort Worth. She's excited. Houston, El Paso, Phoenix, Fayetteville, Philadelphia, North Carolina, wherever you're joining us from, we're so excited. We are wrapping up this mood series tonight. Let me start uh, by sharing a little bit of something related to the Marvin household recently. My kids are terrible sleepers, and I like to think they get this from their mother, but I think that would be a lie. And uh, she reminds me re- er, often that uh, that probably comes who their father, who's not a great napper, not a great sleeper. And, um, and so we have done everything we can to try to get him to sleep. The latest thing we've been attempting to do is cut out as much sugar as we can anytime around bedtime. Because we want to make sure there's very little sugar so that they'll go right to sleep. And it has not worked. And so that has led me to discover, man, what could that possibly be? Like, what does not cause sleep? And in looking even the sugar thing, I recently came across a uh, discovery that sugar has nothing to do with your energy levels. Do you know this? Like, it's not responsible. It's a little bit mind-blowing, but I'm going somewhere, people, so just stay with me. It's not responsible for sleep in children, sleep in you. If it's chocolate, there could be caffeine, which could be a factor, but it doesn't have anything to do with that. And that kind of led me down an article spiral. Ever been on the internet, and you're like, all of a sudden, you're going to check your email, and then you're on the vortex of just information, and you're checking out, like, one myth after the next after the next from the article that you looked up related to sugar. And, uh, and this kind of will give us some traction for where we're going tonight, because there were, like, several different things and myths that I came across in exploring that one that I, I really think most of us, or many of us, or I've heard for a long time in my life, and they just are not true, apparently. So not just a sugar not responsible for increasing energy levels in kids or people. Uh, there's other myths that maybe you walked into this room. This is one that maybe you've heard of before, or at least it's kind of hard for me to believe, and it is that shaving definitely will not make the hair come back thicker. If you shave an area, and, and I think we all at some point, at least I grew up in high school, and there's this like moment, and depending on if you're a guy or a girl, how you interact with this is very different. Because if you're a guy, you're hoping that your facial hair is going to come in high school, so you're like shaving every day, just hoping that three hairs are going to pop up. And if you're a girl, you're like, hey, the one thing you cannot do is wax right here. You shave right here, it's going to blow up on you. So you need to be very careful about what you do. But it, apparently, it is totally a myth. Shaving will not make it come back thicker. Here's another one. Turkey. Turkey does not make you tired. Anyone ever heard this before? Yes. It's a myth. Turkey does not make, before anybody's like, no, wait a second, hey, Thanksgiving, I've experienced it. It is not turkey that makes you tired. It's that you're bloated and you had too much dessert (laughs) or alcohol or something that made you feel like, man, I just need a nap. But it is not. And in case a lot of you guys are checking it, you're like, wait, there's some hormone that's inside of it. That hormone is in every meat. So any meat should make, in fact, it's in cheese. If you had cheese, it should make you just as tired. It's It's not true. It's a myth. Another myth that maybe you came into this room believing I found this one out today, someone told me, and then in verifying it. A dog's mouth is not cleaner than a human mouth. Yeah, what? Depending on who your dog is, I guess this would be a factor, and depending on who you are and how often you brush. But on average, a dog's mouth is not cleaner than a human mouth. This is only said by people who love their dog licking their face, and you should stop it. It's weirding everybody out, and his mouth is not cleaner, and you shouldn't let anybody lick your face, let alone a dog. But it is a myth that a dog's mouth is cleaner. Here's another one, very famous one. Urine will take away a jellyfish sting. Now, if you grew up in the era that I did, you saw Monica and Chandler (laughs) in the episode of Friends where Chandler steps in. (laughs) I can't believe this is how we're opening. Chandler steps in after Monica gets 
stung by a jellyfish, and he's like, I gotta help out. This is not true. So if anyone, if you're ever at the beach and you get stung by a jellyfish and somebody tries to come up and help you, tell them to back it up because it will not help you. In fact, uh, it can often make things worse, apparently. Salt water is your best option at that point because it'll clean it out, but urine is definitely, it's never really the solution to any problem that you have. And it is a myth, and whoever came up with this, I'm not even sure where it came from other than maybe that episode in general. But the reason I start there is because in talking about myths and how if you believe a myth, it can impact your behavior and uh, just the uh, truth and how oftentimes culture or just different people, we grow up and we kind of embrace these different myths and they impact our lives. Some on, on really silly and fun ways. There's other things in life where we embrace a myth and it has tremendous impact. And tonight we're gonna talk about the subject or the mood of loneliness. And we're gonna explore some of the myths that people Oftentimes, well-intentioned people promote, and oftentimes many of us believe as it relates to loneliness and what a solution to loneliness is. So we're gonna look at three teachings from God's word on the subject of loneliness. Three myths and then three truths that come directly from scripture as it relates to loneliness. This has been called the loneliest generation. A recent study found that 68% of young adults would say that no one really knows them. It's been called the most connected generation in history, and it's also one of the loneliest of all time. Consistently, a majority of young adults describe feeling extremely lonely or very lonely on a consistent basis. Despite the fact that we are more connected than we've ever been before, we're often less known than we've ever been before. In fact, young adulthood in general can kind of be a lonely time, because if you think about it, it's just, I was thinking about it this past week. Your whole life, you're kind of like running with your crew and your friends from very early on until you reach young adulthood. So you start in elementary school, you're hanging out, you're on the playground, you're running around playing tetherball, you're all together, then you move on to junior high. You're still together, you just get a locker this time and you get a little bigger and you start going through puberty, but we're all in this together. Then you move on to high school and you still got your crew that you're running with and your friends are all together and you're just with your group of people this whole time. Then you go to college and there's a little bit of splitting off, but it's like, hey, I'll see you back there, we'll hang out when we come back for the summers. But we're going off and I'm still around people my age and my age group. And then all of a sudden it's like the track is going along and everything's fine and it's like the track runs out and there's just a total decline and you're just free falling out into the real world after you graduate college where you're like, oh my gosh, all of my people, I'm no longer just around all 21 year olds all the time. I no longer live with seven roommates all the time. I'm in a new city, I got a new job. I don't work with a bunch of people like me and my age all the time and I'm kind of free falling and I just feel alone. And so I don't know what your experience with loneliness has looked like and what it looks like today, but it's a feeling that all of us at some point in our lives have. And if you haven't experienced it, you're either going to experience it in the future and knowing how to face it and combat it because it's loneliness that's responsible for so many issues that spring forward out of that loneliness. People get into relationships they shouldn't be in. People start uh, interacting with alcohol in a way that is destructive towards them and further relationships, drives them back into shame and loneliness. And people just make all types of decisions to try to deal with the pain because it is such a real pain that can come with loneliness. So we're gonna look at God's word about how to battle or real solutions for loneliness and how to reject and identify real lies as it relates to loneliness. So if you take notes, you can take notes. We're gonna go through three of these things and look at the scriptures that correspond. The first myth as it relates to loneliness is related to friends, and it's specifically this. Friends can fix my loneliness. Friends can fix my loneliness. The truth is that it is the right friends that help us to fight loneliness. 
It is not just friends in general that can fix my loneliness, but the solution is that I need more friends or my old friends or my college friends or any friends. The truth is that the Bible says that you are to have the right friends, to have real friends and friends that align with God's design for the types of friend relationships that you're supposed to have. You may not know this. God cares about you having friends in your life and having the right types of friends in your life. And he gets very clear in Scripture about the types of relationships that are to mark your life and my life. Proverbs 18, 24 says this. A man of many companions may come to ruin. So a man of many companions, this could be a man of many Facebook friends, a man of many Instagram followers, a man who knows a lot of people may come to ruin. But there's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. The Bible says that there's a, uh, there's a type of relationship that you can have with lots of people but there are certain relationships that should mark your life that no matter what you face, they're sticking by you and you're sticking by them, that there's this real friend that God wants you to have. Specifically, here's the type of real friends or the right friendships that should mark your life or should be a part of your life. People who know you and who know God. People who know you and who know God. And we'll talk about and unpack why that's so important here in a second. But the solution to fixing any loneliness is not more relationships, not more out social activities. It is having the right friendships. And if you do not get this right, you will not fight and battle loneliness in the way that God wants you to experience. A freedom from loneliness and the ability to fight against loneliness. It's not just any friendships, it is the right ones. Just like, it's not just similar to, uh, if you go to fill an empty room in your apartment or an empty room in your house, you're looking for somebody to split the rent with, or split the lease with, there's a couple ways you could go about that. The first would be through a connection, through a relationship, through an old friend, an acquaintance, somebody you know, somebody from this church, somebody from your church, wherever you're connected to, somebody who you're like, oh, I think we kind of would run together well. Then you could go what is the more risky approach, which is called Craigslist. And you could go search for looking for a roommate. And what you're likely to experience is a roommate that no longer is not someone that you get excited about going home and being around all the time. It's someone who doesn't know how to wash out the pasta out of the pot when they finish cooking, somebody who borrows everything that you have and is like, I thought we were kind of sharing this whole thing together. Somebody who doesn't tell you uh, that they're bringing over friends that are gonna stay in the middle of the week over the night, somebody who leaves the TV on till one o'clock. The same way that we'd all go like, hey, yeah, it's, the goal is not to just you know, fill the empty room, it's to fill the room with the right person. And in the same way, the goal is not just for you to try to fill the empty parts of your heart relationships with people in general, it's to fill them with the right people, specifically people who know God and who know you. And I'm gonna talk about both of those. Without both of those being present, you are not going to experience the type of friendships that God wants you to have. And he designed you for relationships. The very first thing that God says is not good was man to be alone. Before the garden or before sin was entered into the world and the book of Genesis, God said, it is not good for man to be alone. You were designed for relationships, but not just any relationships will help you battle loneliness. The right ones will. So what do I mean by knowing you or knowing God? Specifically as it relates to knowing you, they know you, they know flaws and all. You open up and have a life in front of them where they know not just kind of what everyone sees on the outside, they know all of the different uh, just parts of you where God still needs to take ground. If you're a Christian, you should have people who know you. They know where you struggle. They know the areas where you're tempted. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter three, verse 13, verse 12 and 13, take care, brothers, lest there be in any, in any of you an evil and an unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. So hey, everybody listen up. I want you to make sure that you watch out that in the midst of you guys, he's talking to this, that writer of Hebrews is writing this church. 
There's not an unbelieving heart or part of you that doesn't trust God that could lead you to turn away from your faith. But here's the way to do that. But exhort or call out one another. Exhort one another every day as long as it is called today so that none of you would be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. That God says, hey, the antidote, the remedy for you having your heart hardened by sin is to have people in your life that can look in and exhort or call you to the standard of God's word. They can call you out in the areas of your life that you need to be called out. And they can call me out in the areas of my life that I need to be called out. How is that possible? The only way it's possible is for them to know the areas of your life that you need to be called out in for them to know what's going on in your dating relationship, for you to open up your life and share about the anxiety that you feel at work, for them to know the challenges that you're having with your family or your parents, for them to know about the pornography addiction, the eating disorder, the cutting that's taking place, for you to open up your life and say, hey, this is not who I wanna be. God's word is clear, and and I don't even wanna talk about this, but I need somebody to know it and hold me accountable and pray for me and come alongside. You will not have the right relationships unless you are willing to open up your life to other people to be known. In Proverbs chapter 27, verse six, it says this. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but profuse are the kisses of an enemy. That a true friend, a real friend, the Bible says, is someone who is willing to wound you with the truth because they love you enough to tell you it. Someone who's not willing to be like, hey, dude, look, I know you're dating Roger and Roger's a little crazy and I think he's got an anger problem, but I really would love to be a part of your bridal party. Can we make that happen? They're not willing to just go along with it, if they see something not consistent with what God's word says, they're willing to say, hey, can we talk about your relationship? I just feel like I'm seeing this. Maybe I'm wrong, but I wanna love you enough to wound you. Do you have friends in your life who love you enough to wound you, who love you enough to share the truth? When is the last time that someone was honest enough with you to say, hey, I see this in your life. Has anyone ever told you this before? If you wanna have real relationships and real friends, that's gonna involve people who are willing to have to speak the truth because I care enough about you to speak the truth to you. And if I didn't love you, I would just tell you whatever you wanted to hear because I'm just, I need you to affirm something in me. But real friends are willing to speak the truth and they're people that you have to be willing to open up your life to. So they have to know you and the second thing, they have to know God. That if you're gonna have the type of real intimate relationships, can you be boys or can you be girls with somebody who doesn't, who's not a follower of Jesus or not a Christian or is like, yeah, I'm cool with that, but it's not really a big part of my life. Can you be friends with them? Sure. Can you spend a lot of time with them or, or can you like being around that person? Absolutely. But will you experience the type of friendship that fights against loneliness? No. Because you're not experiencing a friendship that shares the most intimate part about you, which if you're a Christian, is your faith. It's the fact that you have a faith and you are in relationship with the one true God through Jesus. You're just gonna have superficial, shallow relationships. And so you may have a good time. You're able to catch up on memories. And remember that one frat party we were a part of? That was the best, man. But you're not gonna have the true, real relationship God wants for you if they're not someone who actually knows God. This is why some of us, like if you uh, are from a family like I am where there's non-believers and non-Christians in your family, you can get around other Christians and it feels like you're closer, or for me, closer with my community group, with other Christians that I've known for a while than I am from my own blood, my family, or members of my family who don't share the same faith. Why is that? Maybe you grew up in a Christian home and you're like, dude, me and my family were thick as thieves and so I don't even know what you're talking about. But a lot of us, we did not. And so when we get around family and we're back home, it's like, dude, I feel closer with the Christians that I, I've developed relationships than I do with my own family, my own blood that I was around for years, 18 years. Why is that? It's because 
Kindred spirits is the true thing. If you share the Holy Spirit, you will have a kindred spirit with one another. You have the same values, you have the same perspective, the same faith, and the same commitment to following Christ, which is a far more uniting thing than anything, uh, any human or any family relationship will, that blood is thicker than water. Have you ever heard that before? Blood is thicker than water, but the spirit is greater than them both. And it's the spirit of God that bonds his people together in the strongest relationship. You, if you're a Christian, you are more family to me than any family member I have that's not a believer. That's what the Bible teaches, that we are all children of God united underneath Jesus, together in the body of Christ. So you need to have real relationships with someone who knows you, that you open up your life to, and somebody who knows God. What is at stake if either one of those are gone? Well, if there's someone who knows you, but they don't know God, then you just get together, and they're like, dude, they celebrate the sins Jesus died for. They're like, oh, man, hey, let's go have another one of those nights. You know, we kind of kicked back. It was relaxing. We were, we were, it was a Friday, and, and, you know, you ended up, I think you got, like, so wasted. You made out with that random guy. That was amazing. And yet they don't call you to be the person that you want to be. They don't push you in the direction that you want to go. They're going to be someone that knows you because they know all the jacked up stuff, but they're like, dude, that's great, and they're going to continue to influence you in a direction that's away from God. If they know God, but they don't really know you, they just know kind of what you let them know and you manage your perception with them. You're not open about, here's where I'm really struggling. If you don't have people in your life that are like that, you essentially only have Facebook friends. Think about it. What's a Facebook friend? A Facebook friend is someone that I kind of manage the perception. If we're friends on Facebook, you, you kind of see whatever I want you to see, right? Whatever I want to post, whatever I want to talk about, I kind of like project whatever image that I want to to you. If you don't have people who know you, junk and all, scars and all, flaws and all. You just have Facebook friends. That's what you have. You just have people that you manage the perception that they have, and here's the tragedy in that. You'll never experience being loved because they don't actually know you. They don't know the you to love. The moment that you're willing to open up and say, this is really who I am, you allow for a real relationship and real intimacy and real love to take place. But as long as you hide behind, no, hey, I can't really share that, or I don't feel like I can be open and honest about that, you will never have the real relationships that God wants you to have, the real types of friendships that he wants you to have. It is being unknown that will make you feel alone. Some of you, the reason you feel so alone, and I hate this, and if I could hammer one thing, it's because no one really knows you. You're afraid of what that would happen if they actually got to know you. You're afraid of, of uh, what they would think about you. And the tragedy is, here's what they're gonna think. If you're actually honest with people in your life, I'm not saying everybody, you don't have to go on Facebook and be like, I gotta let everybody know about everything in my life. I'm saying re having real relationships with other believers, other Christians. And if you're like going, what are they gonna think about me? They're gonna think you're honest. They're gonna think you're a lot like them, only more honest. If they're a Christian, and as long as you hide behind, well, I can't really be open, you're not ever gonna have the real relationships that God wants, and you're gonna feel alone. And the God who's there doesn't want you to feel that. And one of the ways he's given you to fight that is by having real friendships, not just any friendships. The second myth, and probably the most widely held myth, is this. Marriage could fix my loneliness. Marriage could fix my loneliness. Here's the truth. Marriage will address your singleness not your loneliness. Marriage can fix your singleness and not even fix your singleness as though it's something to be fixed. Marriage will address your singleness. It can't touch your loneliness. 
Those are two entirely different things. The only thing that getting married does, if you're someone who's like lonely, and I hear this all the time from people who are like, I just feel such a loneliness, you'll never understand because you're married, and, and I just feel like I need to get married to someone. They're assuming that marriage would fix my loneliness. Marriage will change your singleness. It will not address your loneliness because loneliness is a heart issue that only God can fix. You can be married and lonely. You can be single and not lonely. You can be single and lonely. You can be married and not lonely. Those two things are not related together. And the God who's there says he does not want you to buy the lie that marriage is meant to be some solution to the heart issues that you have. Marriage will change your singleness status, but it will not change your heart because loneliness is a heart issue. The reality is marriage can add to loneliness. And, and so listen to me very closely. After doing this for the last 10 years, I cannot tell you how heartbroken and how often my heart has broken for the people in my life who because they were so lonely and they thought, you know what, I just need to get married despite the fact that, you know, he's not the best candidate, but he's the one I'm with right now, so let's make it happen. And they end up heartbroken. And the pain of loneliness in marriage far exceeds the pain of loneliness in singleness. And please, 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 believe me, it is better to be lonely today and single than to be lonely tomorrow in marriage. And if you allow that loneliness and that void inside of your heart to lead you to get married to someone out of an attempt to kind of fill that, not only will it not fix your loneliness, it'll amplify it if you marry the wrong person. It's not just similar to this. Um, anyone go to Costco here? Shop at Costco? Okay, that's kind of like a, a dad thing. So there's like five of us here. And... Uh, <laughs> Sensor market, we'll just go with that. But, so for me, uh, in this stage of life, we go to Costco all the time. Like once a week, it's like, hey, we got nothing to do. We're going to Costco. Because it's kind of like going to the zoo with kids. It's like we'll walk around and we'll eat the samples. What I've discovered about myself <laughs> is that I can't go to Costco when I'm hungry. Because I end up going around and buying things that I don't need to buy because I'm just like, oh, man, this, you know, apple bacon sausage, this is delicious. I didn't even know that I needed this. Let's get it. And then I go home, and I'm like, I, I don't, didn't even come here to buy this. What did we end up with all this stuff that we ended up purchasing? Because I went shopping when I was hungry, and it was a bad idea. In the same way it's bad to go shopping when you're hungry, it is a bad idea to go dating when you're desperate. Yeah, whoa, whoa. Ooh, ooh, man. I'm, <laughs> that's not just some line, that is the truth. And if you are out there and you are thirsty and you're looking to satisfy something inside of you, I'm being totally serious. If there's a part of you that out of that desperation or hey man, I just feel like lonely on the inside, so I'm gonna go looking, you're gonna end up marrying someone that is not who God says. You're gonna end up marrying someone out of that desperation and attempting to cope with that pain of just, man, I want to not be single so bad. So I don't care if they don't exactly add up to God's word. I'm moving forward with this. And you are gonna find yourself more lonely than ever before. Marriage cannot fix your loneliness, but it can add to it. And I couldn't be more clear as a guy who's so committed to seeing amazing marriages break out all over this room. You guys get married, make babies, make disciples. It's gonna be amazing. I hope it happens. I hope to give you be a part of it, and, and truly, there's lots of great options around this room, lots of probably not great options too, so be careful. But point being, <laughs> as someone who is so deeply committed to hoping all of you end up in amazing marriages someday, I wanna be abundantly clear. 
You need to make sure that you address the heart issues inside of you before you go dating. Just like you need to make sure you address the hunger inside of you before you go shopping. You need to make sure that you address the heart issues so that you don't allow that desperation to push you to date someone who God says, this is not who you should be in relationship with. This is why the danger of marrying or dating someone who's not a follower of Jesus or not a believer, and by um, believer, I don't mean just they say they're a Christian, I mean they are following Jesus. This is why it's such a bad idea. Or date someone of a different religion, of a different faith. Because if you, you you think loneliness being single, if you marry someone who doesn't share the faith that you have, you are headed for tremendous heartbreak and heartache. I mean, think about it. It's the most intimate part about you. Not only if you marry someone, if, if you're Christian and they're Jewish, not only does that challenge or set up lots of challenges down the road of like, oh, hey, the kids are coming to church now, then they're going to synagogue, and what are we gonna do? Thought we were gonna raise them this way. It's not only logistically a nightmare, it is the most intimate part of you, your soul. And you're saying, hey, this thing that I share, this connection with God, this belief that I have, that he alone is the one that satisfies, that he died in my place, that I can know him, that I'm gonna live forever with him, that most intimate, incredible thing about you. You don't share with the person that you're married to? Think about how lonely that is. And you don't, if you know anyone who's in that spot, if they're honest, what happens is their faith either dies in that marriage or their marriage either dies. And either way, it leads to incredible loneliness. And the God who's there does not want you to experience that. Marriage will not fix your loneliness. It will address your singleness. But loneliness is a heart issue. And only Jesus can address that part of you. The best thing to do while you wait right now is to begin to work on the heart, the areas of your life where you're like, I feel like I'm looking for a solution in a man, I'm looking for a solution in a wife, I'm looking for a solution outside of Christ to fill some void, some loneliness that I have. And I think a person could fix it and it's just a lie. The third and final myth is related to this idea and it's this. Accepting Christ will fix my loneliness. Accepting Christ will fix my loneliness. Accepting Jesus as the one who came, God, became a man. He died in my place on the cross. He paid for all of my sin, everything that I've ever done in the past, everything I'll ever do in the future, everything uh, that I've ever, every mistake I've ever made. It was all nailed to the cross. He paid for all of it. And then he died and he rose again. He came back alive, showing the payment was more than enough. Excuse me. Accepting that will not fix your loneliness. It is not accepting Christ that will fix it. It is walking with Christ. That is the way that we battle loneliness. Accepting Christ doesn't battle loneliness. Walking with him does. Any more than this. Uh, Three weeks ago or two weeks ago, my wife and I, we joined a gym. Thank you. And uh, (laughs) we're like, summer's here. This is going to be great. Thank you. Thank you, Mom. Thank you for that support. It's not my mom. Okay. Hey, and... uh, (laughs) <laughs> two weeks ago, we joined a gym, and we haven't been back to exercise yet. <laughs> but we have gone to the pool like eight times. It's just become our pool. <laughs> and, uh, and as crazy as it would be if I stood before you and I was like, hey, here's the deal, uh, or if I went to that gym and I was like, look, we signed up to get in shape, to get fit. We were told that if we signed up with this gym, we would get in shape. And they asked us, well, how many times have you come and used the exercise equipment? None. But that is not the point. We signed up to get in shape. They would say, what is wrong with you? And in the same way that, hey, it's not access to a gym that leads someone to be, you know, in good physical fitness. It is taking advantage of that access and putting it into action that leads that. 
It is not access to Christ that alone is gonna solve your loneliness. It is taking advantage of that access and walking with Jesus on a consistent basis. You cannot express that, hey, uh, if I just accept Christ, you'll spend eternity with God in heaven. That is what the Bible teaches. That if you have true faith, if you confess with the mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart, God raised from the dead, you shall be saved. But it is not just having access to that relationship with God that's gonna allow you to battle loneliness. It is taking advantage of that access and acting on it, walking with him. Any more that I could expect to be fit by having a membership, by having access to Christ. You cannot expect to battle that loneliness without walking with him consistently. So what do I mean by walking with him? Here's some few things that I laid out as it relates to walking. One of the first things, if you wanna walk with God or walking with Christ looks like, this is not an exhaustive list, but it at least should step you in the right direction. It involves confessing and repenting of sin. Confessing and repenting of sin. That you cannot walk with God without a willingness to confess and turn from, which is what repent means, from sin. The Bible says in Matthew chapter five, verse eight, blessed are the pure in heart. Those who seek to purify their heart, those whose hearts have been purified, for they shall see God. In other words, the less pure of heart that you are, the more that you allow sin to infiltrate and define your heart and sit and contaminate your heart, the more that sin is present in your life, it creates a barrier of intimacy with you and God. It was this barrier, sin being introduced, that ultimately was the reason that Adam and Eve and mankind was separated from God. Anytime sin is present, it creates a barrier with a perfect, holy God. So if you continue to sin, some of you, the reason you feel so far from God is because you're addicted to pornography. And every time you close your eyes, you see nudity. You don't see a chance to pray and reflect on God. Some of you are in a relationship and God has just been so clear. Like you, you have like an anxiety about it. You wake up in the middle of the night sweating because you're like, I know that I'm not supposed to be in this, but I'm afraid of what will happen if I break up here. And it's because of a unwillingness to be obedient to him. You feel far from him and he didn't move, you did. And the God who says, will you confess, repent of sin? Will you confess, acknowledge it to God, acknowledge it to him? And in doing so, you'll have a step in the right direction of intimacy being restored with God. Walking with him means just confessing, acknowledging what all of us, we're not perfect people. We need a savior. And so I can confess and repent and turn from that. Second part of walking with him, the second thing I included here is that a constant communication with him or praying to him. What does it look like to walk with God? Like, hey, what, what is it gonna mean if I actually wanna battle loneliness, not accepting, but walking with him? It means I'm gonna confess and repent of sin when, it's, when I see it in my life, when people point it out in my life. It means I'm gonna be in constant communication with you, God. God doesn't want some relationship with you that you see him as either the bell service or as the 911 call, but as a constant walkie-talkie, that he wants a relationship. And all relationship doesn't survive without communication. And he wants you to be in everything that you experience in constant communication with God. Like some of you, 1 Peter 5 verse 7 says, cast all of your cares on God because he cares for you. I want you to think about this verse. Everything you care about, he wants you to bring that to him. Like not just like, hey God, I'm praying today and thank you for this food and I want to pray for all the orphans in Africa and I want to pray for, you know, sick Aunt Betty. Everything you care about, your anxiety about work, your concern about your friend, your anxiety about what your boss may think of you, the presentation you have coming up, you hope that, uh, you know, you get green lights on the way to work. I don't know if you should pray for that or not, but I know that he wants you to pray. And as you do so, he'll align your will to his. 
But he doesn't want you to hide back and say like, I can only bring things to him that I can like read a verse exactly for this in here of what exactly I'm to pray for. He wants a relationship where you bring everything to him. God, I'm feeling lonely right now. God, I, I just wanna be married. Now, I don't know how I'm gonna make ends meet financially. My roommate's moving out and I don't have an option of where I'm gonna live and I'm anxious about it. Will you provide a roommate for me? Will you help me to not be anxious? Everything that you feel, I mean, think about that verse. Some of you, you need to hear this more than anything else that I'm gonna say because anxiety is a part of your story. It's a part of your present. And God says, I want, I care about everything you care about. That's what the verse says. Cast everything, I think they have it on the screens. Cast every, all of your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Or your translation has cast all of your cares on him because he cares for you. Everything you care about, he cares about because he cares about you and he wants you to bring those things to him. Constant communication, not as a bellhop or as a room service, like, hey, can I get this one thing here? Or 911, only when I'm afraid is she pregnant that I'm praying, but a constant communication to God. He wants to have with you. The third thing is it relates to just walking with him. And you'll be amazed what happens whenever you do that. Whenever you begin to actually pray with him, your awareness, it's like my awareness of his nearness and his presence over my life is raised. It's like my awareness of how much he cares about me and he cares about the things in my circumstances is raised just by praying more. God, will you help me right now? I'm about to walk up here and share. We help it to be clear. We help me to get over what people think about me. Will you help me? Whatever those things are in your life. He wants you to bring them to him. The third thing, the component of walking with Christ involves trusting and obeying. I'm gonna trust you and obey. I'm gonna follow what your, your word says in here. I'm gonna walk by faith is another way of saying that. I'm gonna trust what you say is right and I'm gonna do it. Romans chapter 12 verse two says, do not conform to the patterns of this world. The behavior of the world, don't conform to what everybody else is doing out there. If everybody's doing it, it's probably not the behavior that should mark you. If it's the, the behavior or the way of thinking that the world has, if it's like this is the common way that people think today, it's probably not the right one for you. Do not conform to the pattern or the ways of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's reading, the, reading God's word and allowing the truth of what it says to transform you, not be conformed into what the world tells you should be. Then you will be able to test when you know what God's will is, which is what the Bible is. When you know what it is, then you'll be able to put it to the test. When you know what he says about sex, when you know what he says about, hey, flee sexual morality, don't allow that to be a part of your relationship, hey, that is a thing saved from marriage. Whenever you actually do that, and you're like, dude, people actually do that, and you're like, hey, you know what, I'm gonna try it. Whenever you do it, the Bible says, then you'll be able to put it to the test, and you will approve what God's will is as good, pleasing, and perfect will. It's like whenever you begin to put it to test, you're like, oh, well, I guess I'll really try this. It's as though the Bible's saying, hey, test me. You're not gonna end up being like, gosh, I got buyer's remorse here. I cannot believe I dated the way God says to date. I really regret my decision there. No one does it, Paul says. You begin to walk according to the ways that God says to walk as it relates to your relationship with other people, as it relates to the way you use your time, your money, your job, the way that you think, alcohol, sexuality. He's like, hey, do, do what I say. Put it to the test. You have a money back guarantee. It works. And you will find, Paul says, you'll be able to test it and you will approve it because it is good, pleasing, and perfect. And you know what happens whenever that happens? When you begin to actually say like, man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna begin to take steps and I'm gonna trust you, God. This is how you think I should handle this situation. I'm gonna trust you and I'm gonna actually do it. Your faith will begin to grow. Faith is like a muscle. 
The more that you exercise it, the stronger it gets. And the same in the inverse is true. The less that you exercise it, the weaker it gets. A muscle atrophies. If you don't use it, it's like that's going away. If you use it, it's going to get stronger and stronger and grow. This is how faith works. This is why some people can walk through the valley of the shadow of the most painful things, and they're like unshakably fixed on God. Because over their life, they've said, I'm going to trust you. And I've seen him show up over and over. I've seen his ways are higher than my ways, but they're better, and I can trust him. And then there's other people who slowly by slowly, they begin to step away from God. Maybe they step into some type of sexual relationship they shouldn't be a part of. Maybe they step through, maybe they just step through apathy. They're like, hey, dude, I'm going to get back to being serious about my faith when I'm in my 30s and kind of like become more of an adult. I'll, I'll get serious about that then because I'm really working on my career. And they just slowly begin to step away from God. And it's not overnight, like, hey, I'm out of here, deuces. They just drift away. And they wake up one day and they're like, I don't even know if this whole thing is true. Because their faith was never exercised and it weakened just like a muscle. If you haven't used your legs since high school, uh, men, which many of you haven't in terms of exercising, they're going to just atrophy and atrophy away. This is how faith works. If you don't use it, you don't lose it in an internal sense, but it's not growing. It weakens over time. And the Bible says you, if you walk with God, your faith, begin to trust him, and it will grow your trust every single time. Become more convinced his way is true. His way is true. I can trust him. So walking with God includes confessing and repenting praying constantly or constant communication and trusting and obeying him. Here's what, let me be very practical because we're about to wrap it up. If you're in the room or you're listening right now and you want to know what do I do when I'm lonely, like in that moment when it just kind of reaches and washes over me and I feel alone, I feel abandoned, I feel like no one is there, what do I do very specifically in that moment? You go to God and you go to God's people you go to God in prayer and you say, God, I feel alone. I feel like there's no one who cares about me. I don't even feel like you're near to me. I don't even know that praying to you will help me. You're honest and you go to him. And you cry out to him and you call out to God's people. You reach out to other believers in your life. That's why we hammer having a community group in your life that can care for you, that in the midst of walking through loneliness, you can reach out and say, I feel lonely right now. I'm battling with lies and I need someone. Will you pray for me? Will you come just, can we hang out? Can we talk? Can we go on a walk right now? I need someone in my life and someone that you can be in their life for in those moments where they feel loneliness grabbing a hold of their heart. You reach out to God's people and to God. You go to him in prayer and you reach out to his people, this is the way that we battle against loneliness. And the reason I've intentionally said battle and not fix loneliness is because in this life, in this world, because of sin entering, there's a loneliness that can be of a good thing because it's a reminder of the fact that we have been separated from God. And if you're a Christian, you have been restored and are being reconciled to him, but ultimately it's a reminder for any of us, for all of us, that one day that loneliness, that pain will be no more. It is going away for those of you who are Christians. And there's coming a day where you will be home. And that loneliness, that sometimes the reason it feels like I'm homesick is because you're homesick. And there's gonna come a day in eternity where you're going home and it will be no more. For others of you, you've never had a moment where you've actually trusted in Jesus. 
And the scary thing is that apart from you having Christ as the payment for your sins, you're gonna spend eternity alone, away from God, separated fully and finally from him. And he doesn't want you to. He's crazy in love with you. He made that abundantly clear 2,000 years ago when he reset the calendar and he died in your place. The reason I say eternally alone is it's been described that hell is being totally separated and cut off. It's totally separated and cut off. I mean, in some ways, hell is just eternal loneliness. Think about it. Every good and perfect gift, James chapter one says, comes from the Father of lights who above. Basically, he's saying God. Every good and perfect thing comes from God. Every good thing comes from him. If you are cut off and hell is a separation from God, there's nothing good there. You're not taking shots of Patron with your buddy and the devil. You're not hanging out with friends like, kind of like, oh, this is so good. Let's rehash that one time at the frat party. You're not doing any of that. You are cut off from humanity. You're cut off from God. You're cut off from relationships because those are good things. You are totally separated. Eternally lonely. And you don't have to be. Because Jesus came to this earth and he went through eternal loneliness in your place so that you wouldn't have to be eternally lonely. He went through eternal loneliness. What do I mean by that? Maybe you've heard this before, you don't understand. When Jesus died on the cross, it wasn't just the crucifixion and nails were painful and death sucks. It wasn't just like, oh, that had to be a rough day. It was that plus the fact that he was separated from his father. God the Father was separated from Christ the Son and it says that Jesus even cried out. It was though Jesus felt abandoned because the weight of all that sin pushed him away from the Father. He took all of the sin of humanity and it created separation between the Son and the Father. In Matthew chapter 27, he's on the cross in one of his last statements on the cross. He cries out and he's experiencing separation from his Father like he has never felt before. And he quotes Psalm 22. And he says, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? And the answer was that he abandoned him and allowed him to experience eternal loneliness as he was crucified on that cross so that you wouldn't have to forever. Because he loves you. And that ache in your heart, if there's anything good about loneliness, is that it points us and reminds us that you're not home. There's something that no human can satisfy, no substance can satisfy, no money can satisfy. And if you don't believe that, live long enough and you'll see it. And no matter how long you live, one day you will see it. Either as you experience eternal satisfaction because you're home or eternal regret because you're not and you never will be. The solution for loneliness is not more friends, it's the right friends. Marriage cannot fix your loneliness. Only Jesus can do that and it is walking with him every single day as a solution for how we fight and battle loneliness. I think when I, um, when I think about just feeling alone, I'm reminded of times in my life where I just felt like, dude, nobody is actually following God. Like no one's actually trying to live this way. There's so few people. Like God, the world is so crazy. It's going to hell in a handbasket, literally. And the number of people that are like, hey, I'm all in with Jesus. I wanna seek to do his will. I wanna seek to walk with him. Though none go with me, I will follow. It's like, there's just no people like that. Like, I remember at different stages, I remember sitting down with pastors being like, dude, I just feel like, if this is what God wants, there's like 20 Christians on the planet, and, uh, 
and this is what I guess my lot is. I'm going to have to be friends with these homeschool kids that smell funny, and there's not a single attractive Christian girl anywhere, and so I guess i got to marry Mother Teresa and woo a nun, and uh, is that what God has for me? And, and more than that, just like, it just feels alone. Like, no one's actually trying to date this way, trying to live this way. And it's just not true. And so if you're here tonight and you are someone who's ever felt that or wondered that or thought that before, I want you to know it's just not true. In fact, all over, not just in this place, all over even right now, listening wherever you are, there's people and men and women gathered together who are worshiping in different locations and they share the same faith as you, the same kindred spirit if you're a follower of Jesus and they're seeking to live their lives, not perfectly, but with the one true God and in relationship with his people. And they're not just in Dallas, Texas. They're over there in Fort Worth, Texas. Like, here's gatherings that are taking place right now. Just so you don't, she's like, dude, it's just alone. Here's in Fort Worth, Texas. Here's in Northwest Arkansas and Fayetteville. These are gatherings of other ports locations that are taking place. This is Houston. Go back to Houston. Okay or not. There we go. Houston, Texas, gathering in the chapel. H-Town, we know you. That's my hood. Go to Tulsa. Tulsa, go to the next one, Billy. El Paso, Texas, where people are gathering together. Get excited. El Porche. Next one. <laughs> the Woodlands, Texas. Phoenix, Arizona. Austin, Texas. Cincinnati, Ohio. Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Corsicana, Nashville, Tennessee. There's four other different places that we didn't even capture up there. And I just want you to know you're not alone. And here's the deal. The way that God is working in our world is far beyond anything with the different locations of young adults gathered listening right now, listening all over the country. It far exceeds everything. That he's got people, he's got his people all over the place, men and women just like you who are seeking to follow him imperfectly, but they're striving that, hey, I wanna be who God calls me to be. I wanna live the abundant life and experience eternal life forever. You are not alone. He's got men and women right now that are praying to him in Mandarin Chinese, in Farsi, in French, in Spanish. His people are everywhere. You are not alone. And the God who's there doesn't want you to feel alone and to experience loneliness in this life or in the next. And he has made clear how to battle in this one and how he has already won the battle for the next. The choice is yours and mine to accept it. Let me pray. Father, I pray for every lonely heart right now in this room. That you who know them, who know everything about them, you know the circumstances they feel, the anxieties that weigh on them, the future that's in store for them, the hairs on their head, you know the number of them. That you would break through the walls of loneliness now. You would be bigger than the pain of loneliness now. You would move them to step in the direction of your people tonight. And you would help us to fight and you would win the battle for loneliness in our heart tomorrow and day by day. I pray for anyone in this room who's never put their faith in Christ. Tonight would be their night that they would know that there's a way that you have made so that they don't have to be eternally lonely forever because you faced an eternal loneliness and abandonment for us Thank you, God. We are unworthy of your love, of your sacrifice. I pray that anyone who's never had a moment where they've trusted tonight would be their night, and they would experience victory and loneliness in this life and forever in the life to come.
We worship you now in song. Amen.